is The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Chris Sheeran Show here on YesNetwork.com and iTunes. You could download it for free at iTunes.com. Just search for Chris Sheeran Show. It's at Lou DiPietro, yes. It's at Chris Sheeran, yes. And it's at Flash17, yes, on the Twitter. John Flaherty joins us. What's up, buddy? Everything's good, man. Hanging out in Minnesota. Looking forward to a good series here. How is Minnesota, by the way? Uh, that's a great question. I've only looked out the window and been in the <laughs> hotel pool getting ready to go to the gym. But it looks sunny. The weather looks good. So I think we're in good shape. That's all good news. Um, let's talk about the Yankees now. I was just talking to Lou before we uh, started the podcast. And I think if they stay healthy, obviously, with the lineup flash, that's going to be there the rest of the season. The, the hitting will be there. What I'm concerned with with this team is a little bit of the inconsistencies with the starters and leading to the bullpen maybe being gassed by the end of September come October. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, my my big thing, uh, if if my major concern right now, Chris, would be the length that the starters are giving them or uh, you could talk about not giving them. uh, You know, guys like Evaldi not able to get into the sixth inning or get through the sixth inning. I mean, I think eventually that's going to catch up to them. So that being said would be my biggest concern, but I'm not, like, overly concerned about it. I mean, you know, Tanaka goes out there against Baltimore and looked like the ace that we know he can be. He had a little rough stretch, you know, maybe three or four starts ago. But he looks back. Pineda, you know, every time out there, you know, he can be a number one type guy. Sabathia mixed in a good one. You don't know what he's going to be the rest of the way, but he showed you some hope. So I think all in all, they're in great shape right now. I think they're playing as well as we have seen them play all year offensively, like you said, they're, they're, they're locked in right now. So uh, there's a lot to feel good about. You mentioned, you know, Tanaka and Pineda having their rough stretches this season. Yesterday, Tanaka had one in the, in the eighth inning, but after the game, you, know, you were there as well as I. Joe Girardi just seemed not too upset by it. He said maybe he would pitch differently if it's 3-1, but at 9-1, you know, it, things happen. And J.R. Murphy, or John Ryan Murphy, I should say, even said, you know what, we tried to go inside on Machado, maybe we shouldn't have, and things just happened. So... Even the in-game rough patches, it seems like these guys are making the adjustments necessary to compensate so that they don't stay in them. Yeah, you know what, Lou, and you saw it as well as I did yesterday, and, and we were talking uh, during the, the telecast you know, with Paul and Michael that you know, I, there was like 72 or 73 pitches that he had already thrown, and we talked about one of them being a mistake. I mean, that's how good he was early in that ball game. And, you know, and you talk about the eighth inning, gives up a couple of home runs, and we didn't even pay attention to it in the booth because we're like, this guy's been so good, that doesn't even, that didn't even phase us because, you know, he had a big lead, he's just going right at people. Uh, I thought he threw the ball yesterday as well as we had ever seen him. Not only his stuff, but his location was fantastic. So I think if you're the Yankees and you're thinking about postseason play, uh, Tanaka showed you yesterday that he could be a dominant number one. Yeah, and the pitch to uh, Chris Davis, too, that Davis took out to right field was a moonshot. I mean, it was just a question of him not getting it in enough. But I think that location there, Flash, that wasn't a bad pitch either, was it? I think, I think you tip your cap to Davis right there. I agree. And, you know, I think if you think back to it, John Ryan Murphy's glove, you know, the target was maybe up above the belt, and it ended up at the belt. So we're talking about, you know, a couple of inches where he didn't elevate a fastball as much as he wanted to. But I agree with you. You give Davis the benefit of the doubt on that one. 
Uh, and just like I said, overall, when you look back at the body of work yesterday, uh, I think that's as good as we've seen him this year. Yeah, and, you know, you bring up a good point uh, with the uh, starters, Tanaka and Pineda. They can be your one-two pitchers as the Yankees head towards the postseason here, and it'll be the first time they get in since 2012 if that does happen. But does it scare you, or, or should it scare Yankee fans, that not a lot of guys on this pitching staff, you know what the Yankees, this is weird, Flash, it, it, it's usually the postseason experience that everyone falls back on with Yankee yeah. teams. But this year, between the relievers and the starters, it's it's really, really light with the postseason experience. Yeah, it is. Um you know, but playing in New York, I think, you know, with all the, the bright lights and all the media, that's the one thing about the postseason, Chris, when you go through it, the media gets ramped up to another level. And, you know, on a club where I played with San Diego, all of a sudden you walk in the clubhouse for, you know, the, the, the workout before game one, and you're going, wow, I, we haven't seen media coverage like this. When you play in New York, you see it every day. So I agree with you, they don't have the experience out on the field, but the overall playoff experience of the media coverage and, you know, how long the game's take and the excitement and all of that, that that's kind of comes with the territory playing in New York. So uh, it wouldn't be an ov- overall concern for me. Uh, you know, I think being in a pennant race, obviously, if this thing tightens up down the stretch here, will help them where all those games in September are so important. Uh, but I think overall, they're, they're not going to be too concerned about the experience part of it. If there is one thing to maybe be concerned about, though, Flash, you know, Tanaka and Pineda look like one and one A most of the time. Yeah. Who, who is the number three start If the playoffs start today, and I hate to do that because I hate to use those kind of phrases, but <laughs> if the playoffs started today, you know, who, who is that number three guy? Avaldi's been struggling to get through the fifth and sixth inning lately. CC has looked good of late, but, you know, hasn't been CC this year. And Nova's coming back from injury. Who, who's the guy right beyond them? Well, I hate to say it. I, I you know, I, I don't hate to say it. It's reality. But, you know, you can't think of Sabathia being that guy because he hasn't really shown it to us this year except – his last start was excellent. Uh, Nova is probably the one guy that I would look at and say he, he's not 100% back and locked in, but I think if you give him a couple more months, he might get to that point where you would feel really good about him being a number three. Listen, Evaldi has come a long way, and, and you've got you to gotta respect the progress that he has made. Uh, but in a playoff game, you guys know this better than me, managers pull their starting pitchers earlier than they do during the regular season. Um, and so what are we talking about here, three or four innings? Uh, you know, so he's got to show you a little bit more, and the good news is that you know, the Yankees have some time here the last couple of months to kind of figure that out. Um, I think it could be Nova, though. You know, he, he pitched the other day with really not anything, and he was able to give the Yankees six innings and stay out of some trouble, and that's what he does. He doesn't give up the big hit. Um, so he definitely will be be part of that conversation. It's funny you should say that because in 2011, Ivan Nova was pulled after two innings in Game Five against the Tigers. So uh, yeah, you're, you hit the nail right on the head there, Flash. Yeah. Um, and as far as Evaldi goes, you know he's averaging a little over five innings per game, and nine of his 19 starts are just over five innings. So, you know, that's something you have to look at when you look at what Lou just mentioned. Uh, y- you need some length, but as you said, too, you know, you have to look at the postseason as if a starter's not getting it done, he's not going to be out there too long. He's out. Right. Um, let's go to the lineup really quick. I-, I know I said if they stay healthy, it shouldn't really be a concern, but we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Alex Rodriguez and Mark Teixeira and the bounce-back years they've been having. First of all, are, are you surprised by what both guys have been able to do this year? Well, Chris, I'm more surprised, Chris. Uh, you know, obviously, I think Alex Rodriguez, nobody knew 
you know, what he would be able to do. And if you would have talked to me in spring training and said he's going to hit 210 with a couple of home runs, I'd say, okay, I could see that. Uh, I didn't see this coming. I didn't see 280 with 20 and, you know, all the RBIs. Uh, Mark Teixeira, obviously, the health issue. Uh, and I didn't see this coming. I didn't think that he would have as big of a first half as he has had, you know, leading the league in RBIs or tied, whatever the case is. Uh, you know, it's, it's a great Great story for both of those guys, uh, and they really carried the club when Ellsbury wasn't around. Now that Ellsbury's back, this is, this lineup is scary. I mean, you got Brian McCann who's flying under the radar. He's had a nice rebound year himself, and to share and A Rod are getting all the attention, and he's fine with that. But you know, now all of a sudden you're talking about Headley getting some big hits, and you know the bottom of the order contributing a little bit more. Uh, you know, and talking from an ex-catcher standpoint, this is a, a lineup that you have a lot to deal with. You have two guys who have speed. You have plenty of power in the middle. And then you're looking for a little break at the end. And, you know, a game like yesterday against Baltimore, a couple of these guys get some big hits. So uh, there's a lot to handle there. Offensively, they've got to be feeling pretty good about themselves. That was going to be my next point you just kind of made, too, is that yesterday, you know, the, the middle of the order, I think, was one for 15 between them, between Gardner, Tex, Beltran, and A-Rod. But... It was Headley who had the big three-run double in the first inning after Jimenez got out to Sharon Beltran. Yep. Drew had the big RBI double. You know, Murphy was on base three times. It doesn't matter seemingly who's in that lineup now. One through nine, it's – Joe Girardi likes to talk about lengthening the lineup with everybody, but it's as long as it gets right now. Yeah, it is. It's as good as it gets right now too, Lou. And, uh, you know, you think back to game one against Baltimore, and Brendan Ryan gets a huge hit to give the Yankees a lead uh, so that you can go to the back end of the bullpen and lock it down. So – you know, it's kind of what my point was before. Now we're not just talking about Teixeira and A-Rod and they, you know, three-run home runs, and that was a difference in the ball game. Now all of a sudden we're talking about, you know, guys like John Ryan Murphy getting a couple of hits. And, you know, like you said, Headley gets that big double knocks in three. And, and that's really the key when you have a successful ball club during the course of a year. You can't just rely on the middle of your lineup. You have to get contributions from everybody. And this little stretch the Yankees are going through right now, they're getting it. John, I want to go back to the, the pitching staff really quick and talk about C.C. Sabathia. I was doing some research last night, and C.C. in his career has thrown 2,927 and two-thirds innings, okay? The remaining four starters in the Yankees rotation combined, Pineda, Tanaka, Evaldi, and Nova, have thrown 1,708 and two-thirds, meaning that they have thrown 1,219 innings less combined than <laughs> Sabathia has thrown himself. Now, my thing is, I know CC has had his ups and downs this season. He has been good his last couple times out. But I think the guy should get a little bit of a pass for the. He's like Al Bundy's dodge for crying out loud. Yeah, he's got yeah. so many miles on that left arm, and he goes out there. And this is Lou and I talk about it all the time. This guy, every time he takes the ball and goes out a bump, he's going to give you everything he has. He's going to try to extend his outing out there as long as he can, and that's why I respect the hell out of him. Oh, everybody does, and and you know when you when you travel with the team too, you really get to see how much respect everybody on this club has for Sabathia, not only what he's done out on the mound, but the way he carries himself. I mean, he's a pro. And, you know, you, I personally find myself pulling for this guy because he's everything that is right about Major League Baseball. I mean, he competes. Uh, he's a great teammate. Uh, you know, the charity stuff off the field. Right. He's the complete package. So, you know, I, I actually, when we were out in Anaheim, I pulled Mark Gubiza aside, who does, uh, you know, the TV for the mm -hmm. Angels. And, 
Sabathia had one of those games, kind of like what we've seen all year. He pitches pretty well, and then he gets up a couple of big, you know, long home runs, and he ends up losing the game. And I asked Mark, I said, you know, just give me your honest opinion because I see this guy every time he throws. And he said, listen, he, he's got the stuff to win. He's just not pitching the right way. And by that he means he's got to, you know, throw that fastball in off the plate to righties. Make sure you do not make any mistakes middle in to right-handed hitters. You know, everything should be down and away and off the plate in. And I think once Sabathia gets that, you know, where he really figures out this transition, he's going to win some ball games. I don't know if he's going to be dominant again, but he's going to get his share of wins. Now, he's one of those guys, you said that, he'll give you everything he's got. He goes out there and gives you six innings or more, even on days when he doesn't have his best stuff. One question that's going to transition me to something with the bullpen. Now, Chris did more research on this, and you, you have numbers on how many innings – that the bullpen and the rotation have right. pitched in the last two months. So mm-hmm. give me that real quick. Uh, in June, <laughs> Flash, the starters pitched 156 innings. Uh, this is in 27 games, I should say. And relievers threw 87 uh, innings. In July, so far in 15 games, and remember it's not going to be a full month like June with the break, but uh, 15 games, starters mm-hmm. 98 and a third, relievers 45 and two-thirds. So there's a big disparity there. So my question is this. You get to a point where you know Joe Girardi's managing the bullpen well, but then we see something that a lot of people in the Twitterverse were up in arms about yesterday is making a pitching change with two outs in the ninth inning with a six-run lead when you have Capuano on the mound. Where is the fine balance between getting all these guys work, because I assume that's the only reason Pinder got into yesterday's game, and not, as those numbers suggest, using them three, four innings a night and eventually blowing them out by September? Well, you hope that you have the luxury that you have to try to get guys work, which, you know, is a situation <laughs> yesterday where Pinder gets one batter, and we had some great shots. Buck Showalter in the dugout, he couldn't believe it that <laughs> Joe Girardi did that. But, you know, you've got you to get the kid a little bit of work. Um, to answer your question, it's a fine line. You hope that your, your starters are going out there and they're, they're pitching effectively enough that they can go deep into ball games. that you have to worry about getting guys a little bit of work because the last thing you want to do is blow this bullpen out because when they come down the stretch in September, this is the way they're going to have to win some games and they're going to have to win some playoff games is by using that, that bullpen. And not only the back-end guys, Miller and Batances, but you know the middle guys, the Shreves and the Wilsons, who you know, haven't done this before, uh, they're going to have to be fresh coming down the stretch. So you know what, Joe Girardi, one of his greatest strengths is managing a bullpen. Uh, that's going to be tested here uh, coming down the stretch, and we'll see how he does. You also kind of just segued into one other thing I wanted to ask you, which is this season, Girardi's mentioned it. We've used 46 players, but a lot of them have been, you know, the bullpen's a little tired, so we bring up a fresh guy. Come September, when these guys like Rumbelow, who's down in the minors, and Burrowa, and all these guys that are down there that have had a few innings under their belt, when they all come back, how much of a help or a benefit or, or however you want to look at it is that going to be when – Girardi can turn to one of those guys in the sixth inning, and all of them have been there. There's nothing new for any of them outside of maybe the September pressure, but the game itself, there's nothing new for any of them. Well, it's going to be obviously uh, you know, a huge lift. And you know, I actually think back to when Andrew Miller went on the disabled list, and all of a sudden we found out a lot more about Shreve and Wilson because they were pitching back-end innings, um, and they did a really, really nice job. So now they slot a little bit you know, earlier in the game, and you expect them to keep that dominance. And it's the same thing for these kids that are going to come back up. They've already got their feet wet. They've already had their cup of coffee. They've already familiarized themselves with Yankee Stadium, everything that goes around with it. So would Joe Girardi trust them late in the game? No, but he probably would trust them in the middle to get an out or two 
because you don't have those rookie jitters. So, again, perfect world. They have a big lead going down the stretch, and you kind of pick, you pick and choose who you want to throw out there. Uh, but you do feel a little bit better about some of these guys because they have experience already. One more for me, Flash, and it's not ba- – well, it's kind of baseball-related, I guess. But uh, last night I, I DVR'd Real Sports on HBO, and Bernie Goldberg did a story about uh, everybody getting a trophy. And it's something Lou and I have discussed uh, ad nauseum on the podcast. I kind of think I know what your opinion is going to be on this, but I just wanted to get your your feel. I mean – all across the country, and they and they they put, pointed out a couple of leagues across the country. Everybody who participates, even the kids who don't participate and don't show up, at, and on the last day of the season, they get a trophy. Um, everybody knows what I think about this nonsense. I just wanted to see uh, what your thoughts were. So, if you don't show up on the last day of the season, you still get a trophy. So that when you get a job later on in life, that you don't have to show up, and you're still going to get a paycheck. Is that well? That kind of that, what we're that would be about? awesome. That that's the thing. And and one of the things that really got me upset watching this piece is a, a woman that ran, uh, who still runs a soccer league that's actually countrywide, but she runs it for a certain part uh, where she lives. She actually wanted to stop. When she took over the, the league, they were giving trophies to everyone, and she wanted to stop it. And she said, look, I just want to give trophies to first, second, and third place, especially with the older kids. And what ended up happening, she said, was she did it. She instituted it. And what happened was parents actually went to trophy companies and bought trophies bought for the last place teams. Oh Wow. Well, you know, you're talking uh, to a guy who grew up in a tough Irish Catholic household. Well, uh, ditto, you know, buddy. <laughs> I think back to my first year of pro baseball, Elmira, New York, and I'm not making any money. And I have $300 in my bank account, and I come home for the offseason. And my dad looks at me and says, all right, rent is going to be, you know, 250 bucks a month. And I'm like, rent? Said, I'm living in your house. I don't have any money. He said, that's not my problem. You're in the real world now. So go figure it out. So that's kind of what we're talking about here, Chris. Yeah, I know. My, my dad did that to me, too, after I graduated college and moved back home. I had to pay to live there. I've been that's working. Right. The I've real been, world. Let's go yeah. figure it out. I've been working since I'm 16. My dad told me if I wanted to drive a car, I needed to pay the insurance. So... Away we go. I just we're on the same page. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. Lou, you have anything? No, you know how I feel about it. The same way as you two tough, tough childhood Irish Catholic guys. <laughs> just because, just because I'm an Italian Catholic guy doesn't mean my opinion's any different. Okay. Oh, and by the way, Flash, uh, before I before I hang them up, I, I finally got my first win of the season. I know you're. Hey, thrilled. all right, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Complete game, uh, seven innings because we had a doubleheader. And uh, play minor league rules there, seven innings per game. In a yeah, yeah, four four hits. I, had, I think I had like seven strikeouts and three unearned runs. That's right. Wait a second. They were you unearned. think you had seven strikeouts? I think. Or you know you had seven No, I think. Uh, I'm just guessing. Maybe six uh-huh. and a half, seven, something like that. Okay. <laughs> He's not telling you about the golden sombrero he took at the plate, just the pitching. <laughs> oh, I was now. one for three. I, I, I was all right at the plate. It was a nice good. day. That's yeah, a, it was a nice day. day. I needed that. and needed to watch the Connecticut baseball out of my system. Anyway, listen, we appreciate you spending some time with us. I know you're in Minnesota, and you're getting ready for the Yankees series out there with the Twins, who are actually playing well also. You're going to see our old buddy Phil Hughes tonight. Talk about CC Sabathia. Hughes was just the same way. Yep. Whatever he did during his start, he was in front of his locker, and he answered yep. every question. So enjoy it, Flash. We appreciate it. We hope you come on once again uh, later in the season, and we'll talk again more Yankees baseball. Thanks, buddy. Anytime, guys. I enjoyed it. Talk All to right. you soon. Enjoy Take the care, Flash. Later.
there he goes, John Flaherty. Uh, what a great job. Great spot out of him. And, you know, that's the one thing we really didn't get into. I didn't want to, like, throw numbers at him, like, mm-hmm. you know, alphabet soup. Well, I had you use the numbers that you gave no, him. No, no, no. Just to make my that point. That was fine. Yeah. But, but to, to piggyback on that, now I can go through him without, you know, boring him with all these numbers. You know, we talked about this before we started taping. But, you know, my concern was before I did this research – are these guys, you know, are, are, are they going to eclipse innings that, you know, their, their most innings that they've ever thrown in their lives? Mm-hmm. So I did some research. Uh, Andrew Miller, his reliever high. Remember, he was a starter. Yep. Um, but his reliever high was last year, 62 and a third. He's only at 33 and a third. So he's at naked gun numbers. That elbow injury helped, or forearm yeah. injury helped too. Yeah, but yeah, you know yeah, what? Yeah. That, how, how you get there doesn't matter. Right. Uh, but this is just to show. This is just to show everybody, the fans, yeah. everybody who listens to this podcast, that Joe Girardi. It may not seem like he's managing the bullpen to the point where uh, everybody needs to be in line for an October run, like keeping their innings down. But this should show you numbers don't lie. Joe Girardi is doing exactly yep. what he needs to do to keep all these guys in line to not wear them out. Dylan Batantis threw ninety innings last year. Uh, 51 and a third this year. So he's kind of right there. Yep. I, I mean, you know, and he had a fill-in for Miller. And don't forget, like, he's going through the seventh and eighth inning if Girardi needs him because there was a time there he didn't trust anybody else. Uh, Capuano, you're going to get what you get out of him. He, he's got a rubber left arm. He can yeah. do whatever. Starter reliever, he's going to be that swing guy. Uh, Justin Wilson, he had 73 and two-thirds in 2013 with the Pirates. He's only got 35. So he's less than halfway yeah. to his career high in innings. And he's only he's about that in appearances, too. So he's right there right. on that one, too, because he's one of those guys that sometimes comes in for a batter, although not as of late. He's been more than a lefty specialist this year. Chasen Shreve, his high was at low A Atlanta in 2011. He threw 70 innings. He's at 38 and a third. And even if you add in, what's he got, probably 20 at Scranton? Yeah. For the, the, the couple of times but he's been that. down there on, on various assignments? Right. And then Adam Warren, 152 and two-thirds with Scranton as a starter in 2012. He's got 90 this year, and yeah. obviously he started as a starter. And, yeah, I mean, he's, he's close enough. Capuano's bounced back and forth. He's, you know, he's right there. Warren's and, close enough that he's been a starter, you know, full-time three years ago earlier this year. So, he, you know, he might, you might want to stop him around 120, but he's still there. And, look, we, we talked about this. Doug and I talked about this. You and I talked about this. Warren? Could ju- Listen, I'm not saying the Yankees are going to win the World Series. I'm not, like, yep. declaring that right now. <laughs> but Warren could be a Phil Hughes type oh, yeah? from 2009. He's not throwing 97. But if the guy knows he's only in there for an inning, he could gas it up. And if somebody emerges and if Warren somehow gets another shot in the rotation, I mean, you know, Flash talked about Noah being the number three. You never know if Warren could get one of those three, four, five inning I mean, look at Game 7 of the 2003 ALCS. (laughs) I mean, you know, you never know if a situation like that is going to happen. He could be that guy that comes in and throws three, four, five innings and dominates in a big spot. But here's my concern. Again, we talked about it with Flash. He said it's not really a big deal with him. But there are three starters, Tanaka, Pineda, and Evaldi, with zero postseason experience. They're all 27 or under. I mean, that's, that's that's the flip side of that great. Nova, thought, you're right. They're all young. Is that well? They don't have any experience. But Nova, I mentioned his two postseason starts, and they were both against the Tigers. He's one mm-hmm. and one with a 4.32 ERA. CC, we, we know his postseason history. Uh, but Andrew Miller, he threw seven and a third innings 
last year. Yep. That's his playoff experience with Baltimore. As uh, a middle reliever, not even as a closer. Yeah, not even he as a, a setup closer. Guy. Dellen Batances, none. Niente. Wilson has three. Uh, three innings pitched. 2013-2014 with, uh, with the Pirates. Shreve, no postseason. Warren, no postseason. Adam Warren started to get called up with the Yankees in 2012. They yeah, haven't he had, made the he playoffs had, since. He had the one, the one outing that year, that spot start where he got clobbered in Chicago and right. went back down. Right. So there you go. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's not a concern for Flash, and I know the bright lights playing in New York and dealing with yep. the media you know, is an everyday thing. But I tell you, uh, when you're wound as tight as a snare drum in the postseason and you need to get an out and the lights are brightest, yep. it, it's going to be – I'm not – listen, I'm not worried about Tanaka. No, because I was going to say the Japanese media follows, hangs on his every word, and there's a lot of them in the clubhouse in Daisy Pitches. So am, he's used to that circus as it is. I am not worried about Tanaka. No. Pineda, you know, I don't know. He's had sort of an up and down year. You would hope CC, as Flash said, continues to battle and gives you some innings. But is that I was just wrong? making the face Pineda makes when he gets oh, asked a question. Oh, oh, he doesn't I, I like, thought someone came in and I didn't see. <laughs> um, but yeah, if there was one concern I had. That would be it, the lack of experience in the playoffs. But I'm telling you right now, and I I think all Yankee fans that are listening to this right now are saying, we don't care. We just want to get back to the playoffs. We just want them to get the playoff experience. You know, how much did that affect Herrera and Davis and Greg Holland last year? I mean, see, I'm not, I'm not a big, I'm not a big, I'm not, you're right. I'm not a big proponent of that. I'm really not. But at the same time, it, it, it is it is something you have to look it at. It helped and you know what on the other side of the coin, yes, there's all that, but CC Sabathia has been in the playoffs a million times in his career. Mark Teixeira has been in the playoffs and won a world championship with the Yankees. Carlos Beltran's been in the playoffs almost every year and he's he's an October stud. A Rod's got that postseason experience. Jacoby Ellsbury's got a little bit of it. Brett Gardner's got some from the Yankees from four, five, six years ago. There's Brian McCann with Atlanta. There's guys there that have it that can help nurse them. and Brian McCann having it. And having it in spades with Atlanta may be just as important as all of the pitchers having it because he can help them through that the way he's he's been tremendous with this staff. And that I'm assuming that trait can carry over into, you know, guiding him through a big moment like yeah, that. Yeah, the, the offensive resurrection combined with the way he has yep. dealt with the staff, that has uh, meant so much to Joe Girardi and this Yankees team. And uh, hopefully we continue to see that as October begins to creep Speaking of catchers, I forgot to ask Flash how he felt about John Ryan Murphy being one base away from Plinko Bingo yesterday in the game, hitting third base on the roller and then second base on the chopper. Uh, He was first base away from Plinko Bingo. God. So uh, that was fun. He he had a laugh about that after the game, uh, him and I. And joining the program now is uh, the one and only Where's Kernan. That would be... Kevin Kernan of the New York Post. We Hello, found sir. Him. How are you? We found you. It's not easy to find. I was just through an area with no cell service, so you're very lucky. <laughs> Cooperstown, New York is where Kernan is, and uh, we'll talk about uh, all things uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremony in just a bit. But first, we have to, you know what, let's, let's piggyback John Flaherty here. We just had Flash on the program. Let's talk a little Yankees before we get into the Mets, who are a big hot button topic right now but Kevin sure. are, are you are you surprised at, at how the Yankees are maybe starting to pull away here in the American League East right now yeah I am a little surprised because uh, you know they've stayed he- healthy basically I'm not surprised about A-Rod I went and visited him in January and I was the only guy in New York writing that he's going to be fine and I had predicted 25 homers and, and decent amount of RBIs but he's doing he's obviously doing better than that 
Um, you know, they, they can hit, and that's the difference. There's a lot of teams out there now that can't hit, and the Yankees, the Yankees have, you know, they throw off some professional hitters, and uh, the season Mark Teixeira has had, I'm sure you saw my column the other day where, you know, A-Rod said he's the MVP. Yep. And I talked yeah. to A-Rod before the game about that, before Teixeira homered, and he, he said, let me, he says three letters, MVP, and then he said, of the <laughs> league. So when you got, you know, Teixeira really is, he's, it sounds crazy, but he's uh, he's right up there with the best, and 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 then you got McCann. So that they have Ellsbury, you know, Gardner. So they have a lot more hitting up and down that lineup than anybody thought. And the pitching has been good enough. And one of the reasons why the pitching is good enough is because nobody else can hit. This is, I mean, this is the lineup everybody last year. Joe Girardi's even said he used so many guys, guys cycling in and out. This is what pretty much everybody expected last year's lineup to be, right? I mean, this is this is what we thought we were getting out of McCann, Beltran, Teixeira, ETC. Yeah, Beltran probably blew his a little bit off yet. You know, he's not, he hasn't uh, he hasn't gotten it together. He, you know, some of his skills have eroded, so depends how he does. But I think, and, and I think this is one thing we learn every year in baseball. Um, it just doesn't happen overnight. We bring guys together. It takes. It, it, sometimes it takes a year for them to gel together and figure out and be comfortable with each other and, and their personalities and, and, and everything. Because, you know, they got some guys on the Yankees that are a little different personality. And I think it's a very interesting dynamic as well, uh, what we got going on with, with the Yankees, is that, you know, this is the first post-year year, and it seems that A-Rod has won over this clubhouse tremendously, and he's, he's, he's clearly the leader of this team. There's no... There's no uh, fractions this year, so I think that's what's going on as well. Yeah, that's a tremendous point, Kevin. You know, everything that's going on with this team right now, and you tend to forget that this is the first year post Derek Jeter, and they're a- they're able to put this year together. And as you said, you know, the lineup, as long as it stays healthy, the hitting is going to be there. But can the pitching wind up being a detriment if these starters uh, are inconsistent down the stretch here, and the bullpen maybe gets taxed? Uh, I still think that's a big question mark for them. Uh, you know, I'm not in love with the starting staff. Uh, they're all consistent for the most part, but there's nobody that's lights out because of the Sanaka situation with, with his arm and where, you know, he's been able finally, it looks like he's been able to figure it out a little bit, but I still think that he's going to have issues down the road. That's why I, this sounds insane, but um, why not? If I'm the Yankees, I make a major effort if I can land him, and I don't know if he can. But the guy that's fascinating to me is Chapman. Hmm. Uh, if you bring him into that bullpen, which is already lights out, you you could have um, you know you could have you could have the Terminator bullpen. And, uh, <laughs> that 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 would be tremendous. The bullpen could just pitch games at that point. <laughs> Warren and Capuano well, being multiple guys. If you think about it, Lou, Lou uh, and Chris, that the. Um, the starters all got little, you know, they're all a little shaky, but all of a sudden you take that shakiness out of them if, they, if you're really asking them to do five and six innings, and, and, and then you got Warren and all these guys, and uh, then you become a force, and that's different looks, and that's what baseball is becoming now, and that's, that's taking into the playoffs. It's also important, too, that they're, they're, they're getting ahead now, so they're putting some distance between everyone else and – and when needed, uh, and Jordy's very good at this. He's very good at wrestling his people and getting them ready. Um, you know, with the older guys, you're going to have to wrestle a lot more, I think, in the second half. You mentioned, you know, you mentioned the bullpen becoming a force. And, I mean, yesterday, you look at, they came in and Tanaka 
goes seven and two-thirds. It's the perfect opportunity to rest, guys. And Girardi uses two pitchers to get the final four outs. Where I asked Flash the same question. Where is the balance and the fine line between when you get that length out of your starters and picking your spots to get guys work, and then, on the other hand, not blowing them out because sometimes you just have no choice? That's the danger, I think, with Joe Girardi. We've, you know, you can look at this from two different perspectives. Um, he's, he's, and, and it's working, so you have to say it's good, but he's, he's treating every game like it's the seventh game of World Series whenever they have a lead. And he's trying to close it out no matter who he has to use. And the problem with that, of course, is you could have a situation like a few years ago when David Robertson was toast by the end of July. And I think Batanzas and, and Miller has uh, – Scout told me earlier this year, early in spring training way back, that Miller will take care of himself physically. In other words, if he's getting to the point where he's overstressed, he'll shut it down. I mean, he's already done that. And right. um, so Miller will take care of himself Patanzas is still young, and, and you know, he, he uh, he's just going to go after it. But that's the one danger for me. I think Joe is going to have to rely more on relievers, uh, different relievers down the stretch a little bit and, and everything to, to make sure those guys are fresh and devastating because that's, that's what they are when they're right. Kevin, the trade deadline is, is a week away. So this is kind of a question that you really can't answer yet because teams in the AL East could make some – big-time deals to uh, improve their ball clubs. But as they stand right now, who do you think in the division would be the Yankees' toughest competition down the stretch to actually stay on top here? Uh, Baltimore. I still think Baltimore. That's why it was, uh, you know, what they did with them this week was key because uh, I think Baltimore is the most dangerous team. Toronto could be if they get the pitching back. They're pitching, you know, are they going to be able to go out and get a battle bomb and a starter? I don't know if they can. Um, if, if they were to do it, then they could be dangerous because they can hit with the Yankees. But I still see Baltimore, uh, you know, if they can get an outfielder that can hit. See, they never should let Nelson Cruz go, and that's typical ownership, and that's the business where the Yankees separate themselves from other teams. You know, the Yankees have that type of player. They don't let him go. And, uh, you know, the Orioles, you know, everybody with the Orioles wanted Cruz to stay, except I guess the owners didn't want to pay him. So that's a difference. And we're seeing more and more of that in baseball. We're seeing some uh, – some uh, frugal owners really affecting teams. And um, I don't know if everybody really has the best interest of their teams at heart. They're just looking uh, maybe at the bottom line a little bit. Lou, uh, Lou asked this, to, well, not the same question, but he, he, he prefaced it by saying, I hate saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. But <laughs> if, if the playoffs started today, um, who, who would the Yankees have to fear the most in a first-round series? Well, the Yankees would have to fear um, Angels, I think, even though their hitting isn't that great. But, you know, they got two great hitters. So that, that's the real right. issue right there. I mean, we're looking at this year, too. You Right now, the Yankees, the Angels. I mean, we could be seeing the Twins, the Astros. Right. And some random, you know, a random wild card in there. It's kind of a – it's an interesting race this year so far. And the trade deadline is going to be huge. We've already seen uh, Kazmir go to Houston from Oakland. Speaking of the trade deadline, let's move over to uh, a team. You mentioned uh, teams can't hit. And that pretty much mm -hmm. the, the word Mets just kind of flashed <laughs> heavily in my brain. Um, I heard the press conference yesterday that you were you were in as a part of with Mr. Alderson, um, and it kind of almost sounded like he said that the Mets, you know, the salary issue with David Wright's insurance and Henry Mejia's suspension and all that wasn't going to put them in a position to acquire a guy. And then ten minutes later, he says we can take on a major contract, but you won't believe me. Yeah, is that why? I mean, ten minutes earlier, he just said we don't 
this this isn't going to help us monetarily. And then 10 minutes yeah. later, he tells you we can do it. Yes, it's, uh, he was talking out of both sides of his mouth, obviously. And uh, and that's why the media is there to call people on that. And people have, forgetting, have forgotten what the media's role is a lot in this society now because you, you see it even across the board that uh, nobody's nobody's um, nobody's really there to question. But how, you know, if, first of all, if they can get somebody and they can spend money, why haven't they done it already? It's an absolute right. travesty, a disgrace. Well, a 165 number four hitter, a 175 number five hitter. You know, as I said in today's column, uh, which you can find on Where's Kernan. Um, Reddit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nailed yeah, it. You, you know, soup, you know, Campbell obviously is that in fifth. You know, I like I like the uh, the soup uh, little play on words you had there. Yeah, you yeah. got to be nuts to think Sue Campbell is just a five hitter in the major league. Right. And, and and you know how long can the Mets do this? You know this bait and switch of basically saying they're in it, but they don't want to trade for anybody because nothing matches up. Well, you either got to give up some talent if you're really in it, and they are really in it. I had picked the Mets to go to the World Series, and here's why: um, in in the preseason poll in the post. And I figured if I knew their pitching was epic, the young guys, and I thought they'd have the courage to call up Stephen Matz earlier, which they didn't. I also thought they'd have the courage to, to maybe, um, to maybe uh, you know, go out and get a bat or two once they saw how good the pitching is and where they could go with that. And, <laughs> and, and the, uh, the uh, you know, they, they just didn't do it. So what, what are you going to, you know, if I'm a Mets fan today, the waste is pitching. And also, let's not forget, this is a year. This is a year that uh, you know the Nationals are not the Nationals. So, right, get them. You know, they're they, catchable. They, they still have time. Believe me, they, you know, they, with that pitching staff, they can make every game stuff relatively close. But you know, they've wasted a golden opportunity. They should be five games ahead right now and cruising towards the playoff, much much like the Yankees. You mentioned Mayberry Campbell hitting four or five, and you know Aramis Ramirez was traded yesterday too. He's not having an Aramis Ramirez season, but he's hitting sixty points better than the Mets third baseman and number five hitter last night was against Clayton Kershaw of all people. Within that, I mean, that was one thing Sandy said yesterday as well is that you know we have these options we want to see more of. And I was listening to this press conference while I was listening to Francesa driving home from Yankee Stadium from the game. And and Mike's not exactly the pulse of New York sports locker rooms these days, but he had a point where how can you be the general manager of this team looking at this lineup and these guys and say you want to see more of a guy who's hitting 160 Right. when, on the other hand, hours earlier, Aramis Ramirez, a true rental player who's retiring at the end of the year, needs to go somewhere to be rejuvenated, was traded along with cash for basically nothing, you know, one low prospect. And yet the, these are the kind of moves the Mets seemingly need to make if they can take on these "quote unquote" major contracts, absolutely. And, and you know, I made the same point in the column today about bench. He wants to see more of his bench players, and I, I called him out and said, "Sandy, you want to see less of your bench players? They're bench players, and not only bench players, but they're Met bench players, which is a step lower than anybody else's bench players because you're hitting 233 as a team. So your bench players are the worst. And basically, I want to see less of these guys, not more of them. 
But you know, and even even the data, we, we you know, I'm so tired of the data driven dopes running baseball teams. And I, I just uh, I think I just coined a phrase there. DDD. Triple D's data driven dopes. <laughs> Move over, you Guy Fieri. You will see that future in, in future columns. I guarantee it. And and when we're standing there asking him questions, and giving him the chance to talk, it's just not. It's not like I'm writing a column killing Sandy. I'm giving Sandy a chance to talk and explain what he's doing. And for him to be arrogant and combative and also to um, basically tell me that the peripheral data on Eric Campbell is really good, what am I, an idiot? Come on. And what are, what are the Mets fans? Idiots? He's, he's so under the Mendoza line. <laughs> I mean, you got see, this is where Mets fans, and I'm so glad my grandfather was a Yankee fan, by the way, because he's the one who took me to games all the time. But this is how Mets fans, like, lose their lunch when they're listening to this stuff. And, and it, uh, you know, the same, he, he, like you said, he, on the other side of his mouth, we're still trying to win. Baloney! You're not trying to win. This guy has, you know, he should announce his his uh, 2016 campaign in, into the uh, presidential election because this guy, this guy is a politician unlike any other. How many more years, how many more years, Kevin, can they seriously look at, at Met fans and say, wait till next year. Just wait till next year. Enough already. Get this, get this pitching staff, get these young guys some bats so when they go out there, they don't have to have the mentality, I have to keep this a one-run game or we're not going to have a shot to win. Absolutely well said, and, and every Mets fan should be. This is, this, they've hit a moment now, tipping point as an organization. Uh, the Wilpons cannot hide anymore. Um, they need just to address this. Um, you know, it's it's... It's you, you hate to see it really, and and let's not overlook a major major fact here. Uh, Sandy Olson was gifted these pictures. Sandy Olson did not find any of them. Yep. Yeah, they were Omar outside so of Omar and, and even the pieces. Now I will give him credit for the trade with Toronto, um, uh, but that was a piece that he had from left over in the Beltron piece too for Zach Wheeler. Don't forget him. So so. He was gifted with, uh, and and when you're as an organization, could you imagine? Let's turn the tables. Imagine if the Yankees had that pitching staff. And, My and goodness! You're not paying those My goodness! Either. So you're saving all that on money as well. So you could easily go out and spend spend money. And I don't want to hear any more. The Mets don't have money. If they don't have any money, if the Mantle situation crushed them so badly, sell the team and move on. Well, you know, we also have to remember that Bobby Bonilla is like the third highest paid outfielder on the team right now. <laughs> so there's going on. And, but, the most, and, the third, and probably the most productive. Yeah, he's probably the best. Hey, outside of Granderson, he's, he's probably the best hitter. He's playing softball in Connecticut. He could still hit. Here's, here's the question I have with this. And, you know, we, we'll go back to the bench players thing real quick. Kirk Neuenheis was DFA'd because he was terrible. He was two for 22 with the Angels, who were so desperate for left-handed hitting outfielders that they were willing to take Kirk Neuenheis. <laughs> and now he's back, and yet this is a guy you want to see more of. But now, just today, Kadir finally going on the DL. Michael Conforto is getting a shot. Yeah, I, I wrote that last night that they're going to definitely call up Conforto because I know how to mess things too. They think they can control the media. Not only they're they're a losing organization, but they they're, they're just an annoying as hell because. Uh, um, you know, now everything's good because Conforto's up. So they had to, you know, they could have made this decision two weeks ago. And, uh, you know, afterwards, too, I talked to Sandy, uh, and it was more like a clear air situation. But I, I explained to him, I said, well, how about the way you guys ran the Conforto situation? The kids and the Cubs started at high level A when he was, uh, when he when he signed. Kyle Meanwhile, the Mets yeah. started, yeah, Schwaber, but the, the Mets started Conforto, and he did sign a little bit later, I understand. 
they signed him. They started him at Low A in Brooklyn. Why? Because they want to sell tickets to Brooklyn. It's that simple. So they put the kid on the slow track right from the start. And it's about time the other media started calling out the mess on these situations, too. Well, and Sandy even said to you guys yesterday, as I heard it, that, you know, sometimes you call up players to the majors and they fail, and that hurts their development. And yet here we are 24 hours later, and he's here. So, yeah, again, uh, with the, you know, again, it's, with it's the. It's all a crapshoot. And, and Sandy will say one thing and do the other. But whatever's needed to get the heat off them a little bit, all of a sudden, Conforto's up, you know. And now they're going to say, too, don't accept him to be a hero. Well, you put him in this situation, and I'm going to take it one step further, as long as we're crushing the Mets here. Let's crush him totally. Um, Stephen Matz, I had people in the Mets organization telling me he should have been with the organization, with the team, and not just one person. This is people, you know, connected to the team, um, um, saying he should have been out of spring training with that team. So they wait and wait and wait and wait and, and stop the clock on him, essentially. They bring him up, and what happens? He, sure. he, he, he pulls a lap muscle. Maybe, maybe, I'm not saying it happened because of it, but maybe because he's trying so hard because he's finally in the majors, and now he, instead of having that smooth transition right from the start, the starter, do it slow, maybe even the bullpen, all of a sudden you're a savior, boom. You're pitching in New York, you're getting on a plane, you're pitching in L.A., uh, you know, and now now they've ruined another, you know, for, for the time being, they've ruined another one of their assets. Only the Mets could do that. I saw this on Twitter this morning. It was uh, tweeted out by someone that I follow, uh, and it was a scout, uh, a nameless scout, who said, mm-hmm. uh, Conforto was ready a month ago. Congratulations, Mets. So true. <laughs> I thought that I was very telling. Right from the beginning. And that's, and that's. That's the way they, you know, the shame of it all, you know, but it may work for the Mets because, again, they have talented pitching and and they could turn it right around. And let's face it, the uh, the Nationals are, you know, they're not doing anything good. And, and just, I, I'm sure you guys realize it, but I just want to refresh your memories with the All-Star game. Bryce Harper was the only ALE's position player in the All-Star game. Hmm. So so yeah. it's not like the ALE's, we're not talking about a good division. Yet. This is a terrible division, terrible division. And it's, 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 the Mets should be running away with this division in every which way possible. And, there's, and they have that pitch. And, and I thought DeGrom had a great comment about that when somebody brought it up to him about Harper. He said, that's a compliment to us. And it sure is a compliment to those young pitchers who have, uh, you know, they don't, the Mets don't even know what they have at the time. If you, and again, the great thing about writing columns, they're there. And if you go back to my columns from early in uh, the first uh, road trip of the year in Atlanta when Mejia was suspended, Everybody was wringing their hands with the Mets and ripping them, and rightfully so, ripping them. But I wrote at the time that they're going to be better, better off. Mejia's better. I, I mean, uh, for me, he's better than Mejia. They didn't even see that. They don't see stuff. They didn't, they didn't even see DeGrom being good uh, last year. He kind of just fell into it. So the Mets are extremely lucky and extremely cheap. And he was, I, I was reading somewhere that he was, they were discussing him as part of a treat for, I think, was it Mike Napoli or somebody? Like, he was possibly. DeGrom. DeGrom was yes. trade bait, and, and it he worked was. out well for them. But my last Mets-related question before we move on to the Hall of Fame is this, and it, it's, it's kind of a point blank, but given everything we've said over the last 20 minutes, I feel it's fitting. This is five years into Sandy Ellerson's tenure. The Mets have won between 75 and 79 games all four years. It's been a wait-till-next-year attitude. Next year is here, and next year is coming, and next year is coming. When do we get to a point where, you know, the Kadir move hasn't worked out so far? Chris Young wasn't any good for the Mets last year. He's been great for the Yankees, but he just didn't work out for the Mets. Granderson has been pretty good, but not necessarily worth $15 million a year in many eyes. When do you get to a point where you just have to now look at Sandy Alderson and say, we've given you everything you've got. You've done nothing with it. Five years in, we're in the same spot we were when we brought you here. 
maybe it's time to go in another direction. That point was yesterday, but of course the Mets ownership won't do it because he's taking the bullets for them. And, um, you know, we're, we, we've, we've got Sandy for, for the time being. And that's one of the points that really irritated me yesterday. We're trying to give Sandy a chance to explain his rationale, give him a chance to explain what's going on, how, how his hands may be tied from ownership. Now you could say, well, he's a loyal, loyal, uh, you know, GM, but at the same time, this is a big market team. So I think yesterday is, is, is the time we started looking at Sandy and, and the job done. And, and, and there are no more excuses. Basically, the Mets have worn out their welcome, and uh, they've, they've used every excuse in the book. And now Conforto, finally, they finally have a player that they drafted that appears to be decent. You know, I saw him in the uh, Futures game. He's a solid kid, solid player, solid parents, everything you want. Because other than that, you know, Danny Muno was their big draft pick that they brought up. And Danny, did just one thing off of Danny, I think he's 0 for 15 as a pinch hitter. Maybe they need to see more of him. And Terry so, Collins DH'd him in the last game at Yankee Stadium. Just bringing yeah, that, that, was, just bringing that, that up was in- for the heck of it. Incredible. <laughs> uh, just for the record, I know we've been killing him for the past 15, 20 minutes. But, you know, I, I don't wish anything negative for the Mets. I mean, I, they're in New York. I, obviously, I want them to do well. Uh, but, you know, in order to do well, you, you have to start uh, showing your fans and most of my friends <laughs> who are Met fans. I think I channeled them when I went <laughs> off there, Kevin. Sorry that I yelled, but I kind of have them in my ear every day. So they, they want to know when uh, they're gonna, their team is going to have a realistic shot at competing down the stretch in September and hopefully getting into October. All right, enough about the Mets. Let's, you're in Cooperstown. Let's talk about happy things. And uh, this class going in this year, uh, you know, every time I look at it, every time I look at the names, first of all, I get a little depressed because these are guys. We're that old. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> these are guys that, you know, I watched from the time I was, you know, high school and, and on. And, and now they're all in the Hall of Fame. And the triumvirate now, when Smoltz goes in from the Braves, will all be in and Max Glavin and Smoltz. But, you know, we talk about the Mets and making moves. And, and you know, Bob Nightingale. Kevin, he, he jogged my memory a little bit from the USA Today. I completely forgot that all three of these guys, Pedro, Randy Johnson, and uh, John Smoltz, were all traded uh, from their original teams. Uh, Pedro from the Dodgers for Delano DeShields, by the way. Who hit, mm-hmm. who hit 241 in three years with the Dodgers. John Smoltz for Doyle Alexander is yeah. still kind of a, right. one of those worst ever I trades in baseball. Uh, and then Dave Dombrowski, who was the young GM with the Expos, sent Randy Johnson, Gene Harris, and Brian Holman to the for, Mariners. For Mark Langston. For Mark Langston, who bolted after that one year. <laughs> so you've got three Hall of Fame pitchers that left their original teams. And boy, oh boy, do the Dodgers wish they had Pedro in his prime, huh? Well, it, it goes to show you that these teams really, a lot of it is luck. They don't know what they're looking at half the time. And that's why I don't give them too much credit when they stumble into these players. And Bob's, I'm actually sharing a house. Bob's in our house so here up in uh, Cooperstown. Oh, we have cool. a whole fame house with uh, myself, Nightingale, Scott Miller from Bleacher Report, uh, Danny Nobler, and uh, and Gary Hughes, a top scout. Well, please, please pass along to Bob. That I'd love to have a camera at that dinner table. Yeah, absolutely. To the conversation. <laughs> that 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 column was great, and uh, it, it I will re- pass that along. Yeah, it really uh, it sh- it shook my head around a little bit and said, "Yeah, dummy, <laughs> remember." Well, also, let's take it one step further. Why don't Why don't all these guys come back and pitch for the Braves now? 
and imagine the damage they could do in the air as a hitless ALE. They could still get the best <laughs> How you but, know? Uh, we talked. We've talked about this a little bit. How much better does that make the Yankees' mid to late 90s World Series yes. run look now that the entirety that. of the, the top of the Braves rotation is in the Hall of Fame? Twice. And they beat them uh, twice. Great point. Great twice point. they yeah. beat them. They had to face them all those times, you know, and they and they came back from a course deficit and everything else. And uh, and the Mets could really never overcome them for the most part. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's always a great weekend. The weather's going to be good. Maybe it'll stretch you on Sunday. And I'm going to head over to the main hotel now, see who I run into. And, we, you know, I'll be having columns out of here every day. And it's a, it, it really is a joyous time in baseball. And there's nothing quite, I don't know if you guys have experienced it, but there's nothing quite like sitting on the on the back deck of the Urasaga and one of the big white rocky chairs overlooking the lake and maybe sitting next to Bob Gibson and or, you know, pick, uh, you know, Tom Seaver. Uh, Bruce Gossage will not be here this year because of ankle, uh, I think he had ankle surgery. Um, but, you, you know, the, the last year, matter of fact, uh, a bunch of us, Bob and myself, we sat with Maddox for about 45 minutes. Wow. And Maddox is like the funniest guy in the world, and half the things you can't, you can't print or talk about because it's clubhouse locker room humor to, to, the, to the 10th degree. Well, but, I, uh, I, That's the thing. He was, he, was, uh, he, he was a smart guy, too. And I think that, that's the final point I want to make on those guys is they're all smart pitchers. Yeah. And that's been lost a little bit, too. I have one story for Maddox. I was going to ask you something, but I'll go with this instead because I, uh, Mazzoni told it on the air. So I just want to throw it at you. You sat with him for 45 minutes, so I want to get your natural reaction to this. But uh, Walt Weiss got hit in a game. <laughs> and I think later on, like the third or fourth thing, another Brave got hit. So Maddox was about to go out for the sixth inning, and Mazzoni said he leaned forward and said, oh, Walter, is it time? <laughs> and Weiss said, yes. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, uh, Maddox goes out there and plunks somebody. So uh, it, for Mazzoni to tell that, I mean, he tells it much better than me, but I thought that was a great story. No, he had his teammates back, and he also – all I will say about locker room stuff is be very careful with the sandwich you receive the way if he got to them first. And um, um, but Maddox, yeah, he's uh, he also you know talk about predictions. He would predict, okay, here's what I'm going to do this inning. I'm going to get so and so to pop out to foul out the third, so and so to ground out the second, and and the third hitter to fly out the center field. And he would do it. He would just do that. He would he would he would just he just he just knew how to pitch to the you know to the tenth degree. And he had he he knew hitters better than they knew themselves, and that's another thing that's been lost. Well, uh, with the the DDDs, the data driven dopes, and I think you've seen it now. You've seen it now with the uh, the Angels. Angels are playing very well. That's why I, I said earlier that they think they could be a tough opponent in the playoffs. But they got rid of oh, flooding their guys with too much information. And uh, when Depoto and Sosha had their little their little little uh, battle, and Sosha won. And uh, now it's back to baseball, see the ball, hit the ball, do this, make this adjustment, and they're just out there crushing people. One last question for you, Kevin, before we let you go enjoy some Hall of Fame goodness. You know, last year's class, you wondered if it could have gotten better with Maddox, Clavin, and and Frank Thomas. This year, you know, Randy, Pedro, Smoltz, Craig Biggio also going into the Hall of Fame. Next year really has, you know, Ken Griffey, going to be a first ballot Hall of Fame most likely. Trevor Hoffman's going to be an interesting name. And then there's a lot of guys who are in that hall of very good kind of range. Let's give Mets fans something possibly positive to, to go out on a note. He fell 28 votes short last year. Is next year going to be Mike Piazza's year? 
Is this his chance? It better be, Lou, because uh, I vote for him every year. He's been on the ballot. And, you know, there are, you know, you know, obviously these classes are all stained a little bit by the steroids, but it's, 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 I have no question in my mind that he's a Hall of Famer. Um, I saw him play all those years in New York. Um, I saw the difference he made. And that's when the Mets used to go and make trades for big time hitters, and it made a difference. And, and you know what? He's a, he's a, uh, Mike's a very interesting person. I think he's uh, well-rounded, and he 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 would uh, he would just uh, he, he would be a perfect guy for the Hall of Fame because he 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 would uh, it'd be like Goose how he appreciates being in the Hall of Fame and how he'd be a great spokesperson for it. And, and there's no question in my mind that he should be there. And I don't think I think he'll get caught up in the uh, in the um, you know in the in the Griffey wave, so to speak, and. I'd be stunned if he doesn't make it. If he doesn't make it, it's going to be just a, a couple votes, uh, and then he'll be in the year after. So I, it's, uh, when he didn't make it this year, he, I was the only reporter he called back, and I was getting on a plane to go to see in Cleveland because Knicks had made that J.R. Smith trade, and I, and I interviewed him on the plane just before they took off, and, and, and he, was, uh, he was disappointed, but he also understood. Um, you know, he sees bigger things. He's, He's a religious guy. Uh, he's a good Catholic, and, uh, and uh, he he understands his role. And I think he'll. Uh, I think he realizes it's even greater when you have to wait for a little bit. Two of my favorite guys to talk baseball with, and we We've could had them both. We today. could do it for hours. John Flaherty and now Kevin Kern. And Kevin, you've gone above and beyond. We really appreciate it. Sorry we kept you a little bit long, but uh, <laughs> you're great. So it's kind of kind of hard to say goodbye. But uh, have a great time in Cooperstown. We appreciate it, and hopefully you could join us again sometime soon. Well, you know, guys, I always enjoy being on your shows, and they do a great job. And uh, we'll catch up. Uh, We'll have plenty of baseball to talk about as the year goes on. Thanks All right. so much. No problem. Thank you, Kevin. Take care. Bye. There he goes, Kevin Kernan. Wow. What a show. This was I, great. You've heard none of us, and that's probably a good thing. That yes. might be our Emmy winner right here. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, you know, the Piazza thing I wanted to send out on a, on a good note. Yeah, that, that was The good. last two years, the first ballot class has been stacked. Like I said, next year it's Griffey, and then a lot of very good guys, and Hoffman will be an interesting name because 602 saves – you know him and Mo are going to get there eventually. You kind of have to. Well, Mo's figure, first ballot right. in 2019. And you wonder if if Hoffman's going to be first, second, third. Whereas yeah. the year after that, it's it's Pudge, Manny, Vlad Guerrero, and then a lot of guys. You know, Jorge will be eligible. Pudge and Manny are kind of iffy. So yeah, with uh, I mean, Magli Ordonez will be eligible if, too. If Hoffman doesn't get in this this next year, he'll get in when Pudge and Manny are on the ballot. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, you never know. I. I do wonder, though, looking at the first-time eligibles, if uh, somebody will make a case and if anyone will vote for uh, Mark Rudzelanek, who's eligible for the first time next year, or uh, Christian Guzman. I, 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 would, I would say no. Christian Guzman, who once fetched Former the Yankees, a pretty good infielder. Yeah, Chuck Knobloch. Until he forgot how to throw to first yes. base. But, yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah. What a show. Like you said, what a show. Yes. Flash, Kevin Kernan, who, you know, listening to – and I was texting you on the way home yesterday as I was mm-hmm. driving home from Yankee Stadium. I don't – advocate texting while mm-hmm. driving but i was texting you while i was sitting in traffic just listening to i mean i hate to give mike francis all that love but he was absolutely right when he's talking about how can sandy sit here and say this and you hear him you know he he, he basically yeah. said he's like come on kevin how are you gonna ask me these questions it, it was kevin kernan who was asking right. these tough questions and he was asking sandy didn't valid how, questions and sandy didn't didn't know how to answer them in a way that didn't make him look bad look if sandy is protecting 
the Mets and protecting ownership by answering these questions like a politician, I get it. That's his job. That's what he's supposed to do. However, and that's a big however, fans and media alike, Mm -hmm. especially fans, though, because they're the ones that go and spend the money. They're the ones that go to the park. They're the ones that watch the games. And year after year, they have to hear how great their pitching is and how Kevin said it was epic and he's right. But nobody could hit. That's enough. Your four and five hitter in the lineup yesterday against the Dodgers, and I know it was Clayton Kershaw, but they did beat Kershaw out in L.A. when they were out there last Mm -hmm. time. But their four and five hitters are hitting 179 and 170. Those are your four and five hitters. And you're going to look your fans in the face and say, oh, yeah, we're trying to win. And there's the big difference is that you look back a couple years ago when the Yankees had guys hitting 789 like David Adams and Luis Cruz and those guys that were hitting 170 and 180. And they were the 45th and 46th and 50th guys on the roster. And they still won 85 games. Right. So there's a big difference. And, you know. Because every trade deadline, Cashman goes out there and tries to better the team somehow. Whether it's Jerry Hairston Jr. in 2009 or it's, you know. And he was a big piece. Or it's David Justice or, you know, somebody like that. It's it's a piece. The fact that Matt Harvey pitched the third game of the season so he lined up so they could get more than one sellout on the first homestand kind of tells you all you need to know about their plans, (sighs) I guess. But, you know. I'm I, I'm looking forward to seeing Conforto's debut tonight because I, I, I want to see this kid. I want to see the Mets succeed. I don't want to see I, Kirk I, Newton. I, I want to see that. I want to say that again. I, this, this was not like a Mets bashing party. Nope. This was something that happened in front of God and everybody mm-hmm. at that press conference yesterday. That's why Kevin was so upset, mm-hmm. and that's why we kind of <laughs> needled the pincushion yeah. a little bit to to get his response because he was the one that asked the tough questions. He didn't get an answer. He got flip flopped. By a politician. He did. That's what your GM is, Mets Strategery. fans. Those are those that's what you have to, you know, sit and listen to every year. Wait till next year. Okay, well, knock on wood, I don't want it to happen, but who's the net, next Mets pitcher that's gonna have a big injury that's gonna put him on a shelf and say, Oh, well, you know what, that happened, so let's wait till twenty seventeen. Harvey's already had TJ, Wheeler's had TJ, Matt's or Syndergaard, one of them's already had TJ. Montero's now rehabbing in the GCL. So one of the reasons we love Kevin so much is because he writes these great columns that he referenced a few of today, but he does it in he a way. He speaks his mind. He speaks his mind, but does it in a way where he presents to you a valid point. He's not just, he's not just bitching for the sake of bitching. For the right. He has these valid points and he wonders and he follows up and he is an investigative journalist in a world of DDDs. He is, he yeah, he is so good at what he does. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting. It's always a pleasure to talk to him and hang it's out with filthy. him and follow him around in the clubhouse and, when he's at the stadium. I mean, and it's so easy. Like, he has such a relationship with all these players in all these clubhouses all over the country. I've seen it. I've seen it happen. He mm-hmm. walks in. They come up to him. Yeah. So he's very well respected. He's excellent at what he does, and it was an honor to have him on. We're glad he's a friend of the program. Yes, we are. We're very glad he's a friend of the program, (laughs) as we are with John Flaherty, who gave us a good 20 minutes as well. Uh, I can't say enough about this show. With, I just, know I'm like, with just those two and a little bit of banter in between from you and me, we've, we've reached the magic app. Yes, I mean, we have. We're, we're here. And it's time for us to shut up because you know what? No one wants to hear what we have to say after what Kevin and Flash gave us. So uh, for Lou DiPietro, I am Chris Sheeran. We will see you next week for another Chris Sheeran show, God willing. Take care, everybody. <laughs>